Good morning, One Church. You all just a surprise that I'm up here that I am. Would you turn to your Bibles or your devices and let's read Galatians 6, 1 through 10. I'll give you a moment to get your Bibles out. If you're ready, say amen. I don't hear any amens. Is it on the screen? Okay, so I'm reading the NIV version, and it says, doing good to all. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructors. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The topic today is you reap what you sow. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father God, I welcome your presence. I welcome your spirit in me, this temple, in your people who said under the tone of my breath, God, I pray that I decrease, that you may increase, that your word may go forth, that people are blessed, lives are changed, and people are transformed, including me, God. God, I don't attempt to do this alone, but only through your Holy Spirit. So as we continue to have service, all in your name, I pray that you bless me, you bless them, and we give you glory and praise. It's in your son Jesus' name that I honor you, God. Amen. Okay, so I can exhale. Whew. So, so I'm surprised, too, that I'm up here today. Um, first, I just want to thank, thank Matt, uh, Pastor Matt, and my husband, Pastor Jamel, for even believing in me to come up here and speak today. So I'm not a gracious um, speaker, because Matt asked me about two months ago, probably, if I would speak today on gentleness, and it took me about two weeks to say maybe, another two weeks to say yes, and I still wanted a bailout. Just in case I couldn't do it, I wanted to make sure that him or Jamel would replace me. But Matt, being the gentle yet courageous soul that he is, would not give me a way out. But when life start, started getting rough, as it often does, um, I had a good enough reason to bail out. So my gracious husband said, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll fill in for you. You don't have to do it. Woohoo. 
And so Matt sends me this gracious message. Don't worry about it, sis. It's okay, et cetera, et cetera. And I was okay until the Lord woke me up at 4 o'clock this morning. I, as of last night when I went to bed, I was not speaking today. I studied to show myself approved, but I was determined if the Lord did not give me a message, I would not speak. I did not get a message until 4 o'clock this morning. So Matt got a message at 8 o'clock this morning, prepared as a good pastor would be, um, saying that I'm going to come and do what the Lord has given me. So that's a little story about why I'm before you. Um, I still don't know why. I'm not a preacher. I am a disciple and a student of the word. And so I hope that you are blessed by what God has given me today. Um, my youngest daughter, no, my oldest daughter isn't here today, but I wanted to dedicate this message to her. Um, it's actually inspired by her. And so um, when I think about gentleness, gentleness is not a weakness. Gentleness is power under control. It's having the power to either tear someone down or build them up and choose the latter. Throughout the Bible, there's many scriptures that encourage each of us to be gentle. Here's a couple. Let's look at 1 Peter 3 and 4. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is great worth in God's sight. You don't like that one? What about Colossians 3.12? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So the Bible doesn't take gentleness lightly. And although it's one of the fruits, or fruit, not plural, of the Spirit, there's a lot of other passages that talks about being gentle. For some reason, when I was asked to speak on gentleness, nothing came to mind. I wasn't even quite sure why I was asked to speak on uh, gentleness. As a student of the Bible and a listener of the worship, and I love worship, if you notice today, not a one song used the word gentleness. If you think about the fruit of the Spirit, the whole journey we've gone down the past few weeks, every song had one of the fruit of the spirits in it, but gentleness. So I was thinking that Matt was giving me a favor, like by giving me gentleness, because it sounds really sweet and neat, but the only thing that the Lord gave me was some scriptures to support what it is that gentleness actually means. And so I got a few examples in the Bible that will teach us and, and help us to illustrate in our own lives of what gentleness should look like. So I don't have any fancy topics. I don't have any fancy uh, words that I'll be using today. I'll just be coming straight from the word of God and hope that this word will bless you as much as it blessed me when I was studying the word. So first, let's look at the first example in Genesis 31, 26 through 29. Now, the thing I want to make known to you is if you look up gentleness in Webster's Dictionary, you're going to see synonyms like tenderness, compassionate, mild, and gentle. However, gentleness, from what the Lord gave me, is power under control. So when I think about Laban, you all familiar with Laban, Jacob's uncle? You know that story? George, I know you know that story. 
So he's a Bible scholar. If I ever need assistance, I can reach out to George. He'll have a word for me, and he will correct me if I mispronounce anything in this word today. Right, George? Right, George? No? Okay, I'm going to keep teaching then until George, is, George corrects me. So let's look at Genesis 31, 26 through 29. It says, Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? You've deceived me. And you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of timbres and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren or my daughters goodbye. You have done foolish things. I have the power to harm you. But last night, God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So let me park here for a moment. If you understand a little history about Jacob, what was Jacob's name? What was he known for? He was a trickster. Why was he at his uncle's place in the first place, George? He tricked his brother Esau, and so he ran away, and then he found himself at his mother's brother's house, Laban. Now, while he was there, he saw a little eye candy called his cousin, Rachel. So when he saw Rachel, Laban came to him and was like, you've been here all this time, you're working, you know, is there anything I can do for you? And Jacob said, I would like your daughter, Rachel. So he took and worked seven years for Rachel. Now I think about my husband, and he's good to me, but I can't imagine him working seven years for me. But Rachel must have been a bad girl. So Jacob worked seven years to get Rachel, and when the seven years was over, with high expectation and excitement, he wants his bride. But oh no, Laban said, you know what? I forgot what the law says. <clears throat> the law says that I'm not supposed to marry her off just yet because she's the youngest. I'm supposed to marry off the oldest, which is Leah. Do you all know anything about Leah? So they say, because I've never seen her before, that Leah was not easy on the eyes like Rachel. So Rachel so bad when Jacob saw Leah to his dismay, he said, Rachel's worth it. I'm going to go ahead and work another seven years because that's how bad I want Rachel. So you're talking about 14 years if you're good at math, right? So at the end of 14 years, then Jacob finally not only gets Leah, but he also gets Rachel. Now this relationship between he and his uncle was very peculiar because you would think that Laban was really or had his best interest at heart. But it seemed like maybe Laban was kind of a trickster himself. Maybe it runs in the family. I don't know. But after all the time that Jacob had spent working for Laban, working for his daughters, taking care of his animals, taking care of the livestock, finally one day, this is what happens. Jacob woke up, and he realized, I'm better than this. I've been living beneath what God has called me to be. And although I was a trickster when I left, I'm ready to go back home because I'm a changed man. But what happens when you're under somebody else's control? It's not that easy to leave. So when he wanted to leave, he went to his trickster, I mean Laban, his uncle, 
And he asked, I worked for you all these years. Do you, will you give me your blessing so that I can go home to my land with my family and be with them? But Laban, being the upstanding um, honorable man that he was, needed more work from Jacob. So he said, well, why don't we just work out some type of deal? What works for you? Because I want to keep you. You're such a hard worker. What can I do? So Jacob proposed that I'll just take the spotted animals and you keep the good and strong animals. And this kind of worked out for a while until the trickster in Jacob rose up again. So then he started to streak them and he put something in the water and then the goats started drinking the water and they got spotted and streaked and guess what happened? He deceived his uncle and he started taking the good animals for himself. Now what happens when somebody plays you and mistreats you and your family knows about it? They get upset. So Laban's sons started to see that really Jacob was starting to get wealthy off of Laban. And they had a problem with that. But because Jacob is a child of the most high God, and despite his ways, he still had a call on his life, God came to Jacob in the middle of the night and said, son, it's time to go home. So Jacob, he starts to go home. He gets on the road. And if you read on in the chapter, Laban actually accuses Jacob of stealing from him, right? From hearing that story, does it sound like he was stealing from him? Who said no? Yeah, he was making the animals appear to be weak, where indeed they were strong, because remember, he was keeping the weak animals and giving Laban the strong animals. So yeah, he was cheating him. So even though God had gave him permission to leave, he had to go in secret and in a hurry. But Laban being Laban, all-powerful, he went after him. So when you read on in the chapters, Laban confronts Jacob. And he asks him, why did you leave with taking everything that I have, my daughters, my grandchildren, and then on top of that, you took my gods, gods with a little g. So he took his gods and... When Laban caught up with him, because Jacob didn't know that Rachel, his beloved Rachel, had actually took the little gods and she hid them, Jacob was like, you know what, go ahead. You can look in my tent, Leah's tent, but when it came to Rachel's tent, there was nothing there because Rachel was actually sitting on the little gods. Ouch. That doesn't sound comfortable, does it? But it was a good hiding place. So this infuriates Jacob. How dare Laban come to me and accuse me of taking his little gods? All the work I've done for him, and he's confronting him like this. He's telling him about himself. And he's like, all the work I've done for you, and I did this and I did that. And then if you look in verse 43, Laban claps back. So after he finishes accusing him, Laban let him get it all out, George. And this is what he said. The women... Those women you're looking at are my daughters. The children are my children. And the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet, what can I do about you taking them? So let's make a covenant. Gentleness, power under control. The second story I would like to share is about Joseph, Jacob's son. 
Joseph was thrown into a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery, accused of rape, thrown into prison where the cupbearer forgot about him. Sadly, no fault of Jacob, Joseph's own. It was then that it came that a day that he would actually see his dream come true and he would be in a position of power. One thing I want you to note here about the power that Joseph had is he used it to build up and to not tear down. So if you look at Genesis 45, 4 and 5, this is exactly what Joseph says to his brothers after years and years of being away from them. And don't minimize what I just shared when I said that he was in the pit and he was sold into slavery and that he was accused of rape. It sounds minute when you're reading it, but knowing that if that happened to you, what type of grudge you may be holding against your brothers, we're not talking about people you don't know and people you don't trust. We're talking about people who are close to you. I'm trying to explain gentleness, people. So it's, so it's hard when those people who you expect to do right by you, those people that you expect that you can trust and they will love on you no matter what mistreat you. And I, I would find it very hard to believe that 20 years later they could come to you and some of you would not still be bitter and holding a grudge against them. So if the word doesn't penetrate to you by Joseph's story, I want you to use your own story for an example. So after he goes to him, his Joseph says to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Gentleness, power under control. The last example that I'll share with you, it's a little different from the last two. And those examples, they both were wrong and showed compassion and gentleness to those who hurt them. In Laban's case, he got a little nudge from God in a dream to be gentle with Jacob, so he had some help. In Joseph's case, although the dream was long time ago, God spoke to him, so he had a little influence on how to be gentle with his brothers. But this last example, in my opinion, truly embodies the disposition of gentleness. Or should I say, you reap what you sow. If you've been in church for any length of time, you're familiar with the story of Naomi and Ruth. Now, most of the time when you hear this story, it highlights how gentle Ruth was with Naomi. But I believe that Naomi, being the gentle woman she was, only reaped what she sowed. As most of you know, Naomi lived in Bethlehem, in Judah, but due to a famine, together with her husband and two sons, they moved to a country called Moab. While there, their two sons married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After living there for 10 years, both of Naomi's sons and her husband died. At this point, Naomi prepared to go back home to Judah. 
But while Naomi and her daughter-in-laws set out on the road, Naomi had an overwhelming feeling and affinity toward Oprah and Ruth. And she looked at them and said, go back home and be with your mothers. There's nothing I can offer you. Now, it was apparent that Oprah cared deeply for Naomi. Also, because the Bible says that she and Ruth both wept aloud and said, we'll go back with you, with your people. But when Naomi further explained that not only did she not have anything for them, but she also couldn't bear any sons for them. So it would be pretty hopeless to go on with her. In verse 14, it states, Oprah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung on to her. Now, I don't want you to pay attention to that for a moment when you're dealing with people. Because when you offer a way out, the first time, most people would take it. So I'm going to show Oprah some type of respect because she wasn't diligently ready to leave her mother-in-law as soon as her husband died. But the second time she offered her a way out, and she made it really plain, you're a young woman, and I'm not going to be able to have any more sons. There's nothing I can do for you. Unapologetically, she left, and she took the way out. But Ruth, mm, Ruth, so if you want to know if somebody's sincere or not, you not only give them a way out one or two times, but give them a way out a third time and see if they'll take you up on it. So it not only said that Ruth stayed, it said that Ruth clung to her. Now, at this point, it was apparent that Naomi had some type of influence or power over Ruth. So I want to paint the picture of what power looks like, because a lot of times when you think about power, you think about authority. And considering you don't really hear a lot about Naomi, and you mainly hear about the story of Ruth, I want to show you what power looks like and influence looks like from somebody who doesn't have a title. And so when she looked at her, I could only imagine how overwhelming that must have felt to Naomi, knowing that I have nothing to give you in return, but yet you're willing to go all the way with me. Gentleness. The woman was a widow. She was childless. She was alone. Would it have not been easy for her to take Ruth along with her? Wouldn't it have been easy just to say, come along? Because some of you can't stay alone for an afternoon. So she moved away from the family and friends that she knew. She went to Moab. She had to go back to Judah, not knowing what's going to wait for her when she gets there, not knowing if any other family and friends are going to be there. But I'm going back. And what I see from Naomi is a love that she has for her daughter Ruth. Have you ever loved someone so much that you want the best for them, even if it means they have to leave you? Because, see, sometimes we're so selfish, we want what we want. And although it may leave us alone, I still want what the flesh wants. But for Naomi, I think she was a role model. I think she was a good example for Ruth. So remember I said you reap what you sow? Was Naomi short of any gentleness by the stretch of the imagination? No. So Ruth said, okay, I'll go back with you. 
And so if you look at Ruth 1, 16 through 17, Naomi gives the last call. The last time she says, go back with your sister-in-law, Oprah. And then Ruth says these classic words that if you've ever read them, you never forget. Let's look at Ruth 1, 16 through 17. This is what she says to her mother-in-law. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Is that not gentleness and power under control? So power, as I stated earlier, isn't a position of authority like Laban and Joseph, who were clearly two powerful men. Power is also having influence on people like someone as gentle as Naomi. All three stories today shows how gentleness is far from weakness. It's having the power to either build someone up or tear them down. But before you make your decision, remember you reap what you sow. And all these stories I shared today, each person sowed in gentleness and reaped in gentleness. Laban was able to keep ties with his daughters and grandchildren, although they moved to a distant land. Joseph reunited with his family and got to see his father before he passed. And Ruth was shown favor with Boaz, and she and Naomi both were blessed because of their gentleness. Oh, before I close, I can't forget to leave you with the ultimate example of gentleness. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Omeka and the Mega, the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ himself said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When he died a very horrific, brutal, and humiliating death. So what I want to challenge you is if God himself, who is powerful, has all authority and control in his hands, who are we not to show gentleness to our fellow man? And the word of the Lord is blessed. Amen.